Well, I wanted to preach a message on serving the Lord. And I thought this would be a good time because we have a special dinner tonight and I'll be elaborating a little bit on that. But also we ended uh, the 10th chapter of the book of Romans and we're about ready to start chapter 11. So I thought it would be a good time to do that as well. Take a little break there. But next week I should be preaching back in Romans chapter 11. So Psalm 100 that you read this morning, if you don't know it, you could turn there, but probably most of you know it, I would hope so. But Psalm 100 says this, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's really, really a very loud noise, a shout of exuberation. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. This psalm is designated as a psalm of thanksgiving. The majority of psalms are psalms of thanksgiving and praise. Praise flows from a grateful heart. Some of the thanksgiving and praise psalms are national. The whole nation would would, would recite these psalms regularly, and some are very individual. And the rabbis, many Hebrew rabbis, designated the book of Psalms as the book of praises. And that's the way it's designated in some Psalters. And when the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament by someone, over one-third of all the quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament are in the, from the book of Psalms. One-third of them. And if you look carefully at Psalm 100, you'll see that it contains seven imperatives. And that's a lot for a short psalm. 4 in verses 1 through 3, and 3 in verses 4 through 5. So we look at the first set. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. And then the next set in verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And that first section of commands in verses 1 through 3 are followed by the reason for those commands. Because God has made us, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now think about that for a moment. Not only did God create man in his image, He is making the regenerated man to whom he has given life into the image of his son. That's the work of sanctification. The first is salvation and then the work of sanctification. And then the second section of commands, verses 4 and 5, are followed by the reason for those commands. Because the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations. Each of the seven imperatives could be the subject of a sermon. And they have been. But today I want to focus on the one 
which commands us to serve the Lord with gladness. God has always called certain people to serve him, his people. Now, in the providence of God, he uses people who are not saved to serve his purposes. But specifically, he calls his people to serve him. And sometimes some of the people who have been called to serve and serve really stand out among the crowd. Think of Noah. The Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord when everyone else was doing evil continually. Genesis 6.5. God has many, many choice servants that we find in the word of God. Joseph and Daniel and, and David. David was called a man after God's own heart. Boy, would that, would that be true of me and you? Men and women after God's own heart. God called the entire nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They serve. They mediate between God and the people. In the Old Testament, Levitical priests, they had many duties. They served at the tabernacle. But he called Israel collectively to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19.5. It says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant... Then you will be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holy nation is a separate people, people who live differently than the rest of the world. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. And then in Leviticus 25.55 it says, For unto me the children of Israel are servants. Our servants. They are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. From serving the Egyptians as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, God redeemed the Israelites to become his servants as a covenant community. And likewise, God has called the church to be his servants in this world. Just like Israel, the church has been redeemed. We weren't redeemed from slavery in Egypt, but we were redeemed from what? The bondage of sin, the power of Satan. Peter said this, If you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. That's with reverence toward God. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain manner of life, that's your past life when you didn't know the Lord, received by tradition from your fathers, but you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What did Israel do to remember What God had done in bringing them out of slavery, redeeming them, they celebrated the what? The Passover. And the Bible says that Christ, our what? Passover, has been sacrificed for us. He redeemed us. And then Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, as his servants. Our calling as a church 
corporately and as individual members of the corporate church is to serve the living and true God. How many people in this world serve and worship false gods? All over the world. All over the world. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, speaking of the, the Thessalonians, their remarkable conversion and their witness to the other believers in Acacia and Macedonia, it says, for they themselves, that would be those in Acacia and Macedonia, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how we came to you, what effect the gospel had when you came to Thessalonica, And then it speaks to the Thessalonians, how you turn to God from idols. That's repentance, right? To serve the living and the true God. That's our calling as believers. We've all been saved in a a remarkable fashion. We may not have worshipped literal idols, statues like the Thessalonians did, but we had the idols of our own heart from which God's redeemed us in hebrews 19 13 he says if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the the unclean sanctify for the purifying of the flesh purifying of the flesh there were those old testament rituals if people came into contact with certain things dead bodies and so forth or leprosy they had rituals that they had to go through that involved special special um, things like the blood of the red heifer But it says, if those things sprinkled the outward, the purifying of the flesh, to make the people ceremonial clean again, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. God saved us to serve him. So if you're wondering what your purpose is here on this earth, that's it. You are here to serve God. And we are going to serve God for all eternity if you're a believer. Now, if God has called every Christian to serve him, then he also has equipped every Christian to serve him. People have natural talents that they can use to serve God. Joseph played that piece for us just a little while ago. Some people just have a a natural gift for music or poetry or art or whatever it is. And, And of course, they have to study and prepare for that. But for some people, it comes easy. For other people, it's not so easy. But people can use their natural gifts to serve God. But there are spiritual gifts that come only from God. And the Holy Spirit equips every single member of the church to serve the Lord in different ways. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment. The two chapters on spiritual gifts in addition to one in Peter, 1 Peter, are 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. But it says in verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit, and this would be through spiritual gifts, 
is given to each one for the profit of all. So we don't receive a spiritual gift from the Lord just to build ourselves up. It's for the profit of what? Of everyone. To build up the church. To fortify the body of Christ. To expand the church's influence in the world in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And then in verse 12, he says this. For as the body is one and as many members, but all members of that one body being many are one body, so also the Spirit. So we're one body. We're one body. But he says that the one and the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, works all things, distributing to each person as he wills. It's not as we will. Romans 12.4 says essentially the same thing. The one and the same Spirit works all these things regarding spiritual gifts, distributing to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. You didn't pick your spiritual gift. God did. God knows how to use you best and equips you for that. Curtis Thomas says, Nowhere in Scripture do we have the slightest hint that God's people are to volunteer. Now, I didn't check that out. Maybe, maybe they call for volunteers somewhere. But he says, rather, the scriptures indicate that the use of our gifts should be considered a joyful responsibility. Do you see, do you see that as a responsibility? Serving God is your responsibility. So just find a need that your spiritual gift can take care of and take care of it. Just do it. Use the gift that God has given to you, your natural talents and your spiritual gifts, to serve the body of Christ, to serve other people. It's a matter of stewardship. 1 Peter 4.10 As each one has received a gift, and you all have received a gift. The Bible is very clear about that. The Holy Spirit gives to each one a spiritual gift. As each one has received a gift, Minister it to one another. That means use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When the Holy Spirit, when, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the scripture says in, in Ephesians 4, he gave gifts to men. He gave some to the church, pastors and teachers and so forth, but then he gave gifts to everyone. To build up the body. That's what that whole that chapter is about there. That section of, the, of Scripture is about. We are all part or members of one body. And each member has to do their part to serve other people. We're, 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 we serve one another because we have one baptism, one gospel, one faith, and one Savior. There is an organic unity to the body of Christ. And it's the Spirit of God who, who establishes that unity and the Spirit of God who works to maintain that unity within the body of Christ. We were saved not to sit on pews, not to serve ourselves. We were saved to serve Jesus. And in serving Jesus, we touch the lives of many, many people. 
And you know what? You don't know. You don't know what the simplest thing that you can do for somebody will actually impact their life. I mean, Christian history has been filled of people who've done things that have impacted other people's lives who went on to have a great influence for the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, we are stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's the gift that God has given to us by his grace. The word steward in the scripture is the Greek word oikonomos, and it means a manager or a servant of a household. The wives are the stewards of the home. They are the household managers. They are to to make certain that the household is running efficiently. So I remember one pastor said it this way. He said, so if your wife says, take your, your shoes off at the door, take your shoes off at the door. She's the household steward, the manager of the household. Husband is the head of the house. But he says the, the, or the, the management activity in the New Testament, in the word stewardship, usually involve financial transactions required, you know, an oversight of funds. But that concept of responsibility from which the word came, stewards, is extended in the New Testament to non-financial matters. The stewardship of your spiritual gift. So a steward is not an owner. A steward is not an owner. He is a manager of what belongs to someone else. Now think about that. Your spiritual gift was given to you by God. It rightfully belongs to Him. But He has given it to you to manage it, to be a good steward over it, to put it to use for His glory. That's that's what the, the Scripture teaches. And God will hold us accountable for our stewardship. Not just in terms of spiritual gifts, but our stewardship in other areas as well. Financial stewardship for an example. You are either a a good steward of the manifold grace of God, the spiritual gift you have been given, or you are a poor steward of it. So I just want to spend a few minutes now on what Christian service should not and should look like. Because we're called to serve. Christian service should not be merely out of a sense of duty or obligation. It's good to have a sense of duty, right? When it's in its rightful place. But some people, it just becomes a drudgery. And that's how they see it. And it shouldn't be like that. It should be born of devotion to Christ for His glory. That's the motivation. We devote ourselves to Christ for His glory. Let me read you scripture from Romans. Romans 7, 6. Now we have been delivered from the law. Think of the Jewish people. Having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now the oldness of the letter in context there referred to the legal demands of the Mosaic law which became burdensome. Although the law was not intended to be a burden, it was intended to be a blessing. 
but it became burdensome. The oldness, oldness of, uh, of the law. What is the newness of the Spirit? The newness of the Spirit is a Spirit-filled life. A Spirit-filled life. Think of Paul as the Pharisee of Pharisees, Philippians chapter 3. Before he was converted and became, became Paul, Saul of Tarsus. What did he glory in? Philippians 3. He gloried in his pedigree. He gloried in his achievements. He gloried in his religiosity, if you would. His education. All of those things. What happened when he was converted? In the newness of spirit. He gloried in the riches of Christ's love and grace. Saul, under the old covenant of the law, was was duty-motivated. Paul, under the new covenant of grace, was motivated by love for Christ and his exaltation. And he did not care if he died in the process of exalting Christ and making his gospel known. So I'd say this, although we have duties to perform as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, as, as servants of Christ, our service to God must have a higher motivation than just a sense of duty. We should be motivated by the desire to exalt Christ and by gratitude for God's great mercy toward us. There is a wonderful passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel 12, 24. Look at it here. We'll put it up for you. Fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. Remember those words. Serve Him in truth with all your heart for consider how great things He hath done for you. There's a motivation for serving God contemplating the things that God has done for us. The things that no man could ever do for you, God did for you. He saved you. You could not save yourself. Another person couldn't stand in your place and save you. God sent His only begotten Son into this world to die for you, to save you. Secondly, Christian service should not be out of a desire to be noticed. To be noticed. We live in the selfie generation. People have fallen off cliffs taking selfies and died. They have stepped off curbs and and been run over by cars. I like what Robert Murray McShane, the old godly preacher, said. He never knew the selfie generation, but he said this, for every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. Look away from yourself. Listen, folks, you are nice people, but you're not all that important. Neither am I. We are insignificant. Who is man that thou art mindful of him? Thank God he uses us to the degree that that he does. But look, life doesn't revolve around me or you or your family. 
The worst example of self-promotion, I think, would be the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Jesus pronounced some woes upon them in Luke 11 and 43. He said, Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. They love to be noticed. They love to be prominent. Matthew 6, 1, he says, Take heed that you don't do your alms before men, your charitable giving before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Right, but your right hand is to, not to know what the left hand is doing. You do it in secret. You give in secret because it's unto God and not unto men. If you want the applause of men, that's your reward. If you want recognition from men, that's your reward. The servants of Christ are measured not by their recognition publicly, but by their humble service to to other people in Jesus' name. And sometimes it's the, the least of the things that we can do. We read earlier in the scripture, Matthew 20, or it's in the bulletin. You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great, noble, right, in high positions, they exert their authority over people. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Some of the best servants throughout church history and in the church today are unknown outside of their own church, outside of their own ministry, their own mission work, whatever it is they're involved in. And some of the service that people render even inside the church and in those organizations are not seen by anybody, not recognized by anybody but they are content with not being prominent. God bless them. You know, somebody said they are the ghosts of the church. People don't see them, but they see the work that they have done. And when it's not being done, it's noticed, right? Thank God for people like that. John the Baptist, what did he say? I must decrease. He, Jesus, must increase. He must increase. He wasn't out to be seen. Colossians 1.18 says that he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. The head. I think there's a definite article there. He is the head, meaning the only head of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, you know the rest of it, he might have what? The preeminence. No man, doesn't matter what he has done, how much he has done. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that must have the preeminence. Thirdly, Christian service must not be half-hearted, but with the whole heart. Do you know the Shema of Israel? I know you know it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, right? 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all thine heart and with all thine soul and with all thy might. That means with everything you have. And if you contemplate that verse, you you could literally feel the power in it. All that you have. Everything you're giving unto God. All your heart. If you look up the Hebrew lexicon, that word kol or kaol, it means totality. The totality of something. Everything. The whole of something. And that's just not an Old Testament truth that God gave to Israel. Jesus repeated it in the New Testament. In Matthew 25, 2.35, it says, one of them who was a lawyer asked him a question, testing him. People were always testing Jesus, and they never got the better of him, did they? He often turned their questions around, put it back on them. And saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Direct question, what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So he repeated Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. God is looking for servants. People to serve him with a whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isaiah 6, 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. Listen, that was no half-hearted commitment by Isaiah. He didn't offer 50% of himself to the Lord or 25% of himself to the Lord or 10% of of himself to the Lord. When he send, said, send me, he meant all of me. All of me. Lord, have all of me and use me. Send me wherever you want me to go. Martin Lloyd-Jones says you are either a Christian or not a Christian. Right? I agree with that. He who has the Son has life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's pretty simple. From 1 John chapter 5. I've used that with people in talking to them. I said, look, it all comes down to this. They talk to me about, well, what about this and that? And I said, listen, it all comes down to this. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have the Son of God? as your Lord and Savior. And usually that's silence. And then I could say, on the authority of God's word, you do not have eternal life. You will perish. You will die in your sins. If you're a Christian, you cannot render to God half of your heart in service. Just like you can't be half a Christian. You cannot render part of your life in service, part of your day, part of your home life, part of your job, part of your worship. God will not have that. God does not delight friends in leftovers. I do. I like leftovers. 
But you know the verse? Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of what everything that God has done for you. I'm reminding you of the mercies of God. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, translated your reasonable act of worship. We get the word liturgy from that Greek word. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service or act of worship. Our body given in service to the Lord, Paul says, is a living sacrifice. I'll tell you what, one thing that that means, it's mobile. With this body, you walk around. You do things. You put a lot of mileage on. It's mobile. It isn't laid, it isn't laid on the altar once for all and consumed. It's a living, continual sacrifice. We render service to God in our bodies until we die. Until they are worn out and we have nothing more to give. Paul's last act of worship and service to God was given in his own words to us in 2 Timothy 4.6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, a sacrifice, and the time of my departure is at hand. His last act of worship and service to God was pouring himself out as an offering to God, referring to his soon coming martyrdom. And that's when everything was laid on the altar. That's when everything was consumed. William Barak said in Psalm 100 that we read, the word rendered serve, when it says serve the Lord with gladness, can be rendered worship. So service is worship. Worship is service. When you come on Sunday morning to the worship, quote, service, that's what we call it, It doesn't end after the last song. It doesn't begin with the scripture reading. You came worshiping. If we rightfully understand what worshiping is and what serving is. You came worshiping and serving. Worship continues in your service with a continued dedication of your body afterwards. Throughout the day. The week the month, the year. And it even includes your mind because we're to worship God and give, give everything to God, our whole heart, soul, and mind. So how do you worship God with your mind? You talk nice to people. You return good for evil. You don't get angry with people. That's worship. You speak kindly to one another. You compliment your wife. You speak 
with authority to your children sometimes, I understand that, but not out of, uh, out of just a pent-up anger or frustration. You hold every thought captive to the obedience to Christ. That's worship. That's worshiping God with your mind. That's using your mind in a, in a, in, in a way that God would have you to use it for His good, to serve Him. Christian service must not be a sense of drudgery or with a complaining attitude. But joyful service. I like Philippians 2.14. Now, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I, I put in capital letters, all things. That's the hard part, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen, our lights as Christians, our light as Christian is diminished when we grumble and complain about things. And I want you to know people take notice of that. They really do. On the contrary, a joyful Christian, that light is shining brightly. It really is. Hebrews 12 once says, Wherefore, seeing that we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, those are those who have run the race before us, let us lay aside every way and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience. That means endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is a life. It's not a hundred-yard dash. It requires endurance. It doesn't matter how, how well a, a team, how good they're doing at halftime. I watched a little bit of the basketball game last night, St. Mary's and Gonzaga. That's okay, right? Yeah. Gonzaga's rated number one in the country. They're an awesome team. They'd blow San Diego right off the floor. San Diego State. Couldn't compete with them offensively. They were losing by 14 points or 15 points at halftime to St. Mary's. And what was the big question that everybody was talking about? Could, could St. Mary's keep it up or are they just going to play half a game really well? They won. St. Mary's won. They beat Gonzaga which was quite an accomplishment. But we have to endure as believers. How are you going to finish? How are you going to finish? Are you going to finish well? Our brother Don Rohr finished well. He never gave up. He never quit. Never quit serving. Never quit sharing. And so many other Christians have done likewise. But what do we do? It says in Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Looking unto Jesus, 
the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Where did he get his joy from? His desire to please the Father. His desire to do what only he could do to redeem a lost and fallen world. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Psalm 101, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And if you look at that song carefully, that psalm, serving the Lord with gladness, in verse 2a, comes between making a joyful noise, in verse 1, and then coming before his presence with singing. It's, it's just sandwiched in there. If we're serving the Lord with, with gladness, there's, there is a joy about our life. We sing unto the Lord a new song. We don't walk around looking dismal, defeated, downtrodden, fearful, worried. Yes, we face the pressures of this life. And I, I don't want to tell you that I never get anxious at all, because I do. But what do we need to do when that happens? Casting all our care upon Him because He cares for us. Listen to me. You were not constitutionally made to, to hold stress inside. Am I right? I don't care how strong you think you are. You can't do it. You may look well on the outside, but it is taking a toll on the inside. And eventually it will show on the outside. We have to cast all of our cares upon Jesus. We really do. But be joyful. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And when people who do not know the Lord see us, These are the things that they should see that identify us as Christians. That's what they should see in us. That's what they should see in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nehemiah 8.10, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine. That's the Nehemiah diet. Eat the fat and drink the sweet. Eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. That was the celebration after they completed the the work that God had given to them in rebuilding the, the walls of Jerusalem and so forth. And do not be grieved. And I love this. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to tell you, if you have no joy of the Lord in your heart, you are running on empty or near empty. What motivates you? What keeps you going? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy joy that comes to you knowing that you are doing things for Jesus. 
Even the things in your home for your children that you do sacrificially, that can easily become a drudgery if we let them become a drudgery. Doing it for Jesus changes everything. Everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances or for everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That we would be a joyful people. That we would be a thankful people. That we would be a prayerful people. Listen, God takes no delight in us doing something for him, but complaining all the time we do it. Now, let's be honest, right, parents? You give your kids something to do, and they complain about it. You're not happy with that, right? Just get it done, right? You want them to do it. But you want them to learn to do it without murmuring and complaining, And that's what God expects from us. No matter what the service is that we find ourselves doing. Deuteronomy 28. You know the blessings and the cursings of Deuteronomy? The blessings would be if come to the people if they did what God required them to do in the Mosaic Covenant. The curses if they were disobedience and broke that covenant. God said in Deuteronomy 28, 45, Moreover, all these curses will come upon you and will pursue you and overtake you till you be destroyed. Because you did not listen to the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you, and they will be upon you for a sign and for a wonder and upon your seed forever. God is going to make his wrath known. But then it says this in Deuteronomy twenty-eight forty-seven: another because. Because thou served not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Stop, pause. I read that. I never underlined that in my Bible before, but I have it underlined now. Because you didn't serve the Lord with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of the things that he has done for you. Wow. The wrath of God would come upon them because they didn't serve God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, nor in appreciation for all the things that he had given to them and done for them. They were an unthankful people, and that's why that's there. And their unthankfulness turned into disobedience and they committed some horrible things and that's why those judgments came upon them i'm not i'm not saying that god is going to go and you know knock you down because you're not always joyful but that's a powerful verse deuteronomy 28:47 so lastly make a commitment to always serve the lord and one another with gladness galatians 5:13 for you brethren have been called to liberty As believers, right, we're not under the Mosaic code of the law. But don't use your liberty as an opportunity or an occasion for the flesh to do what you want. But through love, what does it say? Serve one another. How are you serving people? 
How are you serving the body of Christ? How are you serving people outside the body of Christ? What does your Christian service amount to and look like? Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, listen, the world is shaking, but we're receiving a kingdom that will never be shaken. Man will not be able to touch it. Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So serve one another and serve God. And the reality is we serve God by serving one another. Find something that needs to be done and do it for somebody. The Lord needs servants working outside the church as well as inside the church. There are only so many things in the church to do. But outside the church, there's there's a world of things to do. There are all kinds of ministries that you can get involved with. All kinds. And serve that way. And we have to endeavor to follow Jesus, who the Scripture says came to serve and not to be served to give his life as a ransom for many so there's our example jesus he didn't come to be served he came to serve and when you serve the lord you must expect opposition that's the lesson from the book of nehemiah right be on guard spiritually nehemiah the people serving there working to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, had oppositions. Plenty of opposition. So while they were working, they had their weapons in hand. Now, we, we don't put on weapons, swords and armor and all of that stuff, but we have to have the spiritual armor of God on while we're serving the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6. And then it says, Serve or serve God with a mind to do the best job that you can do for Him. Do your best for Jesus. The best that you can do. Nehemiah 4 6 says, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind. To work. Listen, I get frustrated with lazy people. I, I'll tell you, I really do. I don't think there's any excuse for it at all. The people had a mind to work. You have a mind to work for God? A heart for God? Even in your business? Even on your job, you're taking care of family needs and financial needs and so forth, but your ultimate goal should be far beyond that. To use your business, to use your job, wherever you're at, to the glory of God. Have a mind to work. At the entrance of one of the great manufacturing plants in America was a sign that read, If you are like a wheelbarrow going no further than you are pushed, you need not apply for work here. That's good. 
If people always have to push you to get you to do something, you don't have a mind to work. If you have to be pushed into doing something to serve the Lord Jesus who died to give you eternal life, listen to me, something is wrong with your spiritual life. If you are not serving God, if you have to be pushed to do the least of things for Jesus who gave everything for you, something is wrong with your spiritual life. Your priorities, your heart. You need a heart checkup, a spiritual heart checkup. The day I got saved was the day I wanted to start doing something for my Savior. And I never quit. And I went to the pastor right after and I said, What can I do? I didn't know anything. Nothing. I didn't know my Bible. I didn't know anything about spiritual gifts. But I wanted to do something. And he said, well, here's what you can do. And I, and I started off, you know, doing things like running a tape duplicating machine and filling tracks and stores all over the, the Wyoming Valley. Marie would go with me. And then a bus ministry and driving a bus, and picking kids up, and working in the church. And, and I, listen, I just was grateful to God for what he did for me. That's all. I never saw that as a burden, although sometimes I made it a burden that it shouldn't have been. Can you say today what Isaiah said? Here am I, Lord, use me. Not the one next to me. God used them too, but use me. Somebody once said availability is the best ability. Availability is the best ability. Look, I don't want you to leave here thinking, oh, Pastor Tom, he just beat up on us today. Listen, I beat up on myself all the time. I'm, my, I'm, I'm my, the worst critic, you know, myself. But we, we only have so much time, right? There is a night coming in which no man can work, and it's coming faster than you think. Redeem the time. And that means make the most of it. Because the days are evil. Don't go to heaven empty-handed. You want to go and you want to lay your, your crowns down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ.